Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we'll discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and ways they get the best out of their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. Today, I'm joined by James Tai, CEO of Dennis Publishing. As chief executive, James has transformed the company from its traditional UK print publishing roots to a dynamic international media company. As we move beyond COVID, I want to find out how James has adapted his leadership over the past year and what he sees for the future of work. Thanks so much for joining us, James. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about some of the main challenges you've been grappling with as a CEO over the past 12 months or so. It has been an interesting time, hasn't it? There's been a lot of change in a relatively short period. And I think that probably is is the main challenge. That rapid change, I think, is very, very clarifying for an organisation. So literally, we, we have been moving from an office culture that maybe worked at home once a week. And it was, we all worked really hard to try and recreate our office at home, you know, making sure it was quiet and still and, you know, complaining when um, the dog barked. And actually, something we went in the course of a week to a situation where we're working at home five days a week. And we learned to actually embrace the home rather than try and cut it out. And that, that's just one of the learnings, I think, for us is the way in which you approach a problem uh, try and take a, a different approach. In other words, instead of try, trying to recreate an office, actually enjoy the home uh, has been one of the, the major changes. Is there any sense of differences based on circumstances? You know, perhaps some have loathed being at home and, and haven't made that adaptation as you, as you suggest? It, it's, it's a really pertinent question because as a company, we are, we're moving from not what we're allowed to do by the current legislation in the US and the UK, but what we choose to do as a company. So we've just run a survey and we actually asked the question, how many days would you like to work in the office? And the results are really fascinating. So 80% said two days or less, a quarter actually said zero, and just over half said one day or zero days. And I thought that was really enlightening actually, and, and it definitely surprised myself and, and perhaps some of the leadership team too. We also asked people not just how they wanted or how often they wanted to come to the office. We also asked them why, which I think is as important here. And the results, again, were really, really straightforward. They, they just said social reasons. They just want to spend time with their colleagues, uh, perhaps participate in an important meeting. But perhaps more importantly, just spend that social time, that close contact time with, with their colleagues that they've missed. How do you bridge this divide then between the zeros and the, uh, the over zeros? I think choice, Farley. So our, our job is, is to reconfigure the office. When we reopen our office, we want it to be a destination. Not So there won't be banks of desks anymore. We want people to come in and sort of almost recreate what they have, uh, they have missed, which is a social connection, a place to collaborate, just to enjoy company. But the idea of coming in to an office just to sit at your desk with a pair of headphones on I think has been consigned to the industrial dustbin. James's focus on creating space for collaboration and social connections brings to mind what neuroscientists call our seeking system. Our brain's seeking system is most active when we're able to express ourselves, experiment, 
and feel socially connected. Engaging the system is integral to our motivation and it's what impels us to explore, push boundaries and innovate. If you do follow through with the idea of choosing and say, I'm a zero and I therefore don't go to the office at all, what is your response to some other challenges that I can think of, such as, for example, earlier career people that, whether they choose it or not, benefit from some mentoring and those famous serendipitous coffee machine conversations or water cooler conversations? It's definitely what I miss, Farley. I think the only option available to us is to formalise the informal. I've um, set up 10 meetings, I think it's 12 actually, from literally employees picked at random and just want to listen to how they're finding things. Uh, Sort of there I've artificially recreated 60 weak connections that otherwise I wouldn't have done. Now it may not be ideal but I think this idea of formalising the informal is probably quite a good organising thought that might help us recapture some of that. What is perceived to be lost rather than what may not be lost? It's fantastic that you are recreating some of those weak links, but focusing on people that perhaps don't get a chance to pick your brain. What helps you as the CEO handle, you know, what must be quite a significant set of challenges? Yeah, it's interesting that one of the one of the words that's been or the volume has increased around this word uh, is resilience. Uh, I think I think it is uh, a mis a misused word. People sort of use resilient to mean strong and, and sort of um, almost in, perhaps impenetrable. But actually, the, what resilience means is the ability to bounce back. And I think all of us are under pressure to invest in leadership as a concept, but often you sort of leave yourself out of that equation. So I personally try and spend time investing in, in research and thinking and around leadership. And there's some great research. There's a lady called Jenny Campbell, I'm just reading literally this week, on resilience. And she says you need a growth mindset, number one. Uh, which is all about sort of being optimistic, pragmatic, respecting yourself uh, and others' opinions. Then you need some critical capabilities. And she says that the most important of these is, is to, to walk in other people's shoes, to understand their perspective. Because I think we've all had a, a knock. Uh, and actually what you forget when you take that knock is that someone's on the other side of that. So if, if you've delivered a piece of work to your board and it, it is... You just know it to be substandard. It's very easy to be defensive, but actually if you inhabit their world briefly and say, hmm, well, maybe it was substandard. What was wrong with it? I think it just gives you clarifying resilience. Um, Pacing. I think we're, again, there's a lot of pressure on not just CEOs, but all of us to just run at things. Uh, And we all know if we sleep on something, it gets better. Uh, We all know that if you break the day up and, and... and think before you act, it gets better. And the one that I'm poor at, and I've been working hard at, is recovery. So what are you actually doing to actively recover? You know, what, what are you doing to free your mind? Because when you go for a walk, or you're um, doing a hobby you might enjoy, you're still working through the problem, but you're actually giving your mind a chance to recover. So I, I think those three things that I've been working on, but I'd advise anyone to work on, perspective, pacing, recovery, have really helped me understand resilience. They do seem to go well with a more analogue, slower world. How do you balance that with the need to create a sense of urgency? How does that fit in? The hack I found really useful was I used to write myself a not-to-do list. Literally, what things I was going not to do because it wasn't good use of my time. 
it created a false sense of urgency or, or perhaps more um, insidiously somehow reduced people's autonomy and trust because they, they thought you were just doing their job for them. That prioritises you to say what's really important. We all feel this sense of guilt if we're not full tilt. We all feel this sense of urgency and it, it is almost entirely self-manufactured and it's really hard work to unpick that. And I've, I've worked really hard at it and I fail probably four out of five times. James is spot on about the pitfalls of the full tilt culture. We often think to get more done, we need to work harder and faster. But this produces progressively lower quality work and ultimately burns you out. As a manager, it's your responsibility to make sure both you and your team have time for recovery. What do you think helped you get the role in the first place? And what advice or tips do you have for aspirants, aspirant CEOs? I, w- I was uh, given the CEO's job when I was, I was 36. And if I'm really honest, I think I was woefully under, underprepared for that. So I was the only internal candidate up against, um, I think it was six or seven external candidates. I had a very simple vision at the time, which is I will take this company from a print magazine company to uh, a 21st century. This is this was 2005, so I was five years late to the party. And luckily, the, the entrepreneur I worked for bought that. He then paid me the ultimate sort of a backhanded compliment that said, you know, when I gave the internal candidate the role because external candidates have to be 25% better because the internal candidates are known, have known qualities, uh, which I thought maybe they're, in, maybe they're only uh, 22% better and I was <laughs> just nicked in. Um, but I think it's this point is, is, I think it's just acting ambitiously and acting just do your job well and if you're doing exceptional work uh, and communicating effectively people will notice i think you don't need to over 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 need that piece of dough and reflecting now on some of the things you've shared are there tips you have for managers to get the best out of their team their people probably the most important if i had to almost reduce it to one is how can you expect your department, your organisation, whatever you're responsible for, to change if you cannot change yourself. I think that's my single biggest advice is invest in yourself. I know it feels selfish, but actually you're doing others uh, a favour. And the second point is just perspective. As soon as people walked into your office, there was a power dynamic. And I used to think, well, what's the problem? You know, I'm James, I'm having a chat with you. And then I just remembered how I felt when I walked into the CEO's office. And it was like, jumping into a pool of cold water, you, you gasp and you, you become nervous and you, you, know, you get things wrong. Just never forget that. And that's the same whether you're a manager again of five people. There's, there's a dynamic going on. And just remember how it felt when you were climbing that organisation. Given your conviction about changing oneself first before expecting others to change, what's the next change that you might need to personally pull off? I know that experimentation and trying new stuff works and then I forget it and we just do the same old thing for two months and I, then we try something new and everyone says, that was great, why don't we do that more often? So I think I'm training myself to get better at experimentation. And the other thing is I'm, I'm poor at recovery. I mentioned it before. One of my um, approaches is quite competitive in, in sort of how I'm built. So even my recovery time becomes competitive. Uh, and I was joking the other day that actually <laughs> I turned my, my resting heart rate into a competition, <laughs> which is the most, you know, again, when you, when you say it, you realise how ludicrous it is. So they're the two things I'm working on at the moment. 
uh, I hope to get better. Well, James, that's been really enjoyable and I must say quite thought-provoking. Thank you so much for your time and I hope you find something new to experiment with immediately after this conversation. I shall try. Thank you, Farley. I enjoyed that. If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.